0: Hey, welcome everyone to another Your Amigos podcast. We're um, pleased to be joined by Mike Adkins today. We're going to talk about a topic that came up during the last ESMO, which was the exact role of ipilimumab in kidney cancer, um, which Mike is, of course, an expert on and also has some relevant melanoma experience. We thought it'd be interesting as, as we, the kidney cancer community, starts down this path to get his input. So, Mike, welcome. If you just want to briefly introduce yourself and then maybe you can start by maybe just giving us an overview of, of what you think the role of IPI is in kidney cancer in, in terms of dose and schedule. We can start there.
1: Sure. So I'm Michael Atkins. I'm Deputy Director of the Georgetown Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center in Washington, D.C., and have several years worth of experience in immunotherapy as applied to both melanoma and kidney cancer, and therefore, because of my interest in melanoma. Uh, experience that goes to CTLA-4 blockade that is extends back to nearly two decades now. And so what is the role of IPI um, or CTLA-4 blockade in kidney cancer? Well, I think it's similar to, to what it would be for most cancers, but particularly from melanoma, I view it as um, bringing more cells to the battle, while the anti-PD1 is role is to keep those cells active while they're killing the tumor. And so I think many patients' tumors already have enough T cells in them, and all they need is to have the brake taken off with a anti-PD1 antibody or anti-PDL1 antibody in order to do the job, but they're other tumors where they need more T-cells there or um, they need to have their T-cells more active where um, CTLA-4, which acts at the priming phase of the immune response, can actually serve that function. And we see in melanoma that the combination of um, anti-CTLA-4 plus anti-PD-1 results in about a 10% um, increase in the tail of the overall survival curve um, and uh, higher response rates and more activity in um, patients who are um, have PDL1 negative tumors or have tumors that are driven by oncogenes, which may not have as many neoantigens in there. Mike, and think, we think a know that it? you don't need to give a lot of CTLA-4 to prime the pump. In many patients, one or two doses at the three milligram per kilogram level is enough. And even at the one milligram per kilogram level, in our studies in melanoma with neoadjuvant treatment, where we then resect lymph nodes after giving um, the same schedule of nevo-ipi that we use in kidney cancer, we see that about 60% of patients have pathologic complete response or near complete response. And that's enough to actually um, take care of any metastatic disease that was there, and they don't need additional therapy And nearly 100% of those patients will be relapse-free at two years. So extrapolating from the melanoma experience to the kidney cancer experience, I think there are patients who need priming with CTLA-4 to increase their chance of response. I think it raises the response rate, particularly in patients with um, intermediate and poor-risk disease. And I think that... um, uh, it can induce a response quicker.
0: So, Mike, you talked about mechanistically what it's doing. In, in melanoma, how's that translated clinically? Meaning that are are people modifying IPI based on certain things? Are they spacing it out? Are they modifying dose? You know, are there biomarkers, you know, or is it is it kind of as the original checkmate? Is it still being used? Because I think that's going to be the question for RCC moving forward.
1: So there are a few different modifications that are being explored. One in melanoma, one is to look at the kidney cancer schedule in comparison to the approved melanoma uh, schedule, so comparing IPI-3, NEVO-1 induction to um, IPI-1, NEVO-3 induction, and that was done in a Checkmate 5.11 study, and there's reduced toxicity from that lower schedule of uh, IPI, lower dose of IPI, about a 30% reduction in toxicity, but similar efficacy. In addition, there was a study in Australia that looked at PEMBRO plus that lower dose of IPI in patients with melanoma and the Response rate looks very similar, and the tail on the survival curve very similar, if not even superior, to what we've seen with the approved dose of nivolumab, with seventy-three percent of patients being alive at uh, three years. Mike, and what third what approach patients... is to look at just one or Mike... two doses of nevo-ipi priming, and this is a study done by Mike Postow and Memorial Sloan Kettering, where they gave two doses of nevo and then did a CT scan. And if the patient was exhibiting a response at that CT scan six weeks in, they went directly to nevo maintenance. And if they didn't have a response or they had some evidence of tumor growth more than 4%, um, then they continued to four doses of NevoIPI. And the so response Mike, rate was the same if you were um, got the two doses of NevoIPI, and the uh, correlative data suggested that one dose was probably enough to fully activate the immune system.
0: So, and Mike, so I think, I think um, we're giving
1: much more NevoIPI in melanoma than we need to, and it may be the case in kidney cancer as well.
0: So, it sounds like, and I think. I don't know that you can hear Tom. I can hear him, but you can't. (laughs) Um, Is that right? Mike, can you hear Tom?
1: I can't hear Tom.
0: Okay, perfect. Uh, This has happened before. Um, (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) Can you (laughs) hear me now, Mike?
1: It's your dream come true.
0: (laughs) No, I can hear you, but Mike can't. Okay. So Tom can ask me questions, but before he does... Um, So, Mike, you described a number of studies in melanoma that are looking at different dose and schedule, maybe using CTs as a biomarker. I guess really the fundamental question is, should we repeat some of those studies in kidney cancer, i.e., is practice actually changing in melanoma, or are these small studies that are interesting but they aren't really changing practice?
1: These small studies are not changing FDA approvals. They're not Mm -hmm. registration studies. But people who look at this data can get some comfort in using a reverse ratio of nevo in patients where they're worried about ipilimumab toxicity and some comfort in stopping ipi-nevo induction in early in patients who don't seem to be tolerating it well.
0: So Brian, maybe Mike about booster doses of, uh, of ipi. How, how frequently should it be given? So Tom Tom's asking about booster doses of Ipi. So I assume he's talking about patients who lose their response. So they they get whatever induction they get, they have, you know, some sort of response or stable disease and then start to progress. Is there any experience with, with adding Ipi in later with sort of I guess reinduction would be the other way to say that.
1: Yeah, some of the initial studies with ipilimumab in melanoma had a reinduction in patients who initially responded then progressed and there was a response rate in that patient population. And so I've extrapolated from that to the kidney cancer world where I've seen some patients who had a response to ipi-nevo at their 12-week scan, but after six months or a year on just nevo monotherapy have started to have progression and wondered whether we could restore activity by giving them nevo-ipi again. I think we only have anecdotal on mm-hmm. information on that approach, but it's something but, that I. have done it. Looked at before, you know, wanting to switch to the TKIs.
0: Right. So you you've I've not done it, but I mean it makes sense. But is there published even anecdotal experience? I'm not aware if there is. An I don't RCC. think so. Okay, just Brian. Just sort what of, about
1: three monthly? Yeah. This is three what, monthly. What we do trial. see published is Nevo-Ipi after anti PD one. Therapy, um, and that right. I guess could be single agent anti PD one, which likely was given either on a protocol, or uh, in the second line setting, or right. anti PD one plus a TKI, um, and then giving nivolumab after that. Right, and um, we have direct data for that from our. Hoosier study of Nevo monotherapy, where we tried to give Nevo-Ipi to every patient who either had progressive disease or stable disease at a year. And um, we were only able to treat about half the patients who fit that category because of some of the exclusion criteria in our protocol. We wouldn't give Ipi-Nevo to patients who had grade three or higher Immune-related adverse events on nevo monotherapy, and we required a biopsy of a metastatic site for patients who were progressing before they went on to nevo because the protocol was designed as a biomarker right. study. So let's and talk about. Interestingly, I think we found that some patients, when we did those biopsies, we found no tumor there, but when we gave them nevo, the ones we did give nevo ipi to. Um, the response rate was not that great. It was about 11%. I think there was one complete response. And so um, the frontline response to nevomonotherapy in our updated data was about 34%. So when you combined um, that, you are probably total, we were seeing responses in maybe 40% of patients similar to the 214 data without everybody needing to get Nevo monotherapy.
0: So let's let's talk about that a little bit. I'm gonna ask you a question about schedule in a second for Tom, but let's talk about the sort of the take home from your HCRN study. There's a study called Titan done in Europe, reported at ESMO, I think a couple of years ago now, and then omnivore, which were broadly similar in that they were NEVO monotherapy upfront with IP at either progression or lack of response at a at a given time point. And if if I would just sort of summarize them as is, you know, the response rate to NEVO up front, it kind of varied across studies, but but at least for two of them, it was in, I think, the 30% range. Adding IPI added about a 10% response rate, but not many complete responses added with the addition of IPI. I think maybe just one in each study, if even that. So I think my take home from that, and I'd be interested in what you think is that you kind of need to give both upfront that, yeah, there probably are patients who can get away with Nevo monotherapy, but we don't really have a good way to identify them. And we don't want to miss the opportunity to give it upfront. Let's put aside the IoTKI combos, but if you're giving it Nevo, you probably want to give both upfront. Do you, do you agree with that or not?
1: Um, I agree with that, particularly for the intermediate and poor risk patients.
0: Mm-hmm. In our
1: study, the response rate was 25% okay.
0: to
1: Nevo monotherapy in the intermediate and poor risk patients. And not many of them benefited from ipi-nevo salvage. I think it was only two of the four responses in the salvage setting were intermediate or poor risk patients. And so I think there's value to giving nevo-ipi up front to those patients. Where I think there may be a role for nevo monotherapy is in the favorable risk patients where we saw a pretty remarkable 57% response rate, 20%. Uh, responses in 35 patients, and um, only one patient had progressive disease at their 12-week scan, and that Mm -hmm. was just a new lesion, but overall had no overall growth of their disease. And so we didn't miss the chance to give NEVOIPI to those patients. A couple more patients actually responded when we added ipi to the regimen in the group that didn't respond. And I just think you have many chances in the favorable risk people to try different types of schedules. And if you can get a good response to um, Nevo monotherapy to someone who's asymptomatic and may um, not want to be uh, getting a TKI, which is the only approved um, right. treatment for the favorable risk patients. Um, I think giving an anti-PD-1 as a single agent is is a treatment that is, I think, appropriate for the, the patient's disease and, and rate of disease progression and right. asymptomatic status at baseline. so, and so, so maybe maybe in more indolent we should patients. need to identify who those patients are right. who um, can respond to single agent anti-PD-1 in the favorable risk setting.
0: And I, I know you have a lot of data from the HRN study coming out, tissue pre and post biopsies, et cetera. So, obviously, we look look forward to that because, like you say, if we could identify these patients, then we'd be doing them a great service, assuming that that, that those responses are durable, which you probably don't know yet from your study. But well, what we do
1: know is that 17 out of 20 responses were ongoing at the time of our last day of the lock.
0: So, let me ask you about schedule. Tom Tom mentioned about a the study at ESMO that gave three monthly IPPI instead of three weekly Roughly similar efficacy as opposed um, compared to checkmate two on four, obviously different studies, and I think about a 20% reduction in grade three toxicity. What do you think the role of, you know, of spaced out IPI is not based on toxicity, but just planning from the start to space it out? And do we need to study more? Is it something that we should put our resources towards studying or, or, or can we just do it and can we take comfort? Like you said, melanoma has done that you can do it, but don't necessarily need to.
1: Yeah, that's a tough question. I think that, as I said, one dose of IPI might be enough to prime um, the immune system, although we've not tried one dose of IPI at one milligram per kilogram. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can't say that we have support for that approach in melanoma. When we first were developing CTLA-4 antibodies, Tremelimumab was tested at a every 12-week schedule, and there were patients who responded to that, but it didn't do better than the control arm, uh, Dicarbazine, in the uh, phase three trial, which is why Tremi not, was never approved, mm. and many of us thought that part of the reason was that the CTLA-4 blockade was given every 12 weeks, and there wasn't enough CTLA-4 Anybody given early to fully activate the immune response. But oh, if that okay. was at a single okay. agent. It might not be as important in a combination.
0: So in, in, when you're giving ipinevo up front to kidney cancer, you'll, you'll give it every three weeks, right? As per checkmate 214. You know, assuming you're giving combination therapy up front. And you'll continue to, you're going to give four doses unless you run into limiting toxicity. Is that a fair statement?
1: Well, I have a low threshold though for stopping toxicity, stopping because of toxicity. So if someone comes into me and it's time for their fourth dose and they're having, you know, a few loose bowel movements, um, that's enough for me to say, okay, we've. um, Okay risk is probably greater than the benefit at that point of giving the fourth dose. And I may just hold that fourth dose and see them three weeks later and then start maintenance. Or I may decide um, it's not that worrisome and I've already done a good job of activating the immune system and switch them right to Nevo maintenance at
0: that point. So two questions. Um, One is... Is it a specific, you know, CTC grade of toxicity, like number of stools per day in your example, or is it just your, your clinical gestalt, like anything more than a little, and you might consider stopping?
1: Well, I think it's, it's not necessarily, I don't go based on grade. Um, I've treated a lot of patients with nevo with melanoma, where I learned the hard way that I, patients were having a little bit of a problem. And um, I gave him that next dose. And Mm -hmm. uh, then we dealt with that problem for a long time. And so um, the fortunate thing about these immune therapies is they last a long time. They have a long half-life and their uh, biologic half-life is much longer than their actual um, pharmacologic Mm half-life. And so you don't have to give the dose if you have a doubt uh, of what's causing the patient's problem. And uh, time will tell. But so I always say to them, if they're having some issue, um, I don't really want to add any more fuel to the fire at this time. Let's see you back in, a, in two or three weeks. And if nothing has become of that, we can either make up that dose. Or if you're, it's time for a scan and you're responding, then we've done the job of priming the immune system. and We can just go to maintenance therapy.
0: So my, my follow-on question is then... In, in that patient where maybe you're debating, let's say you're debating the fourth dose right at the time or three weeks later or whatever, would you get a scan early to help make that decision? And then what resu- is there a result on the scan that would say, all right, we don't need to do it? Do they need tumor shrinkage? Is stable disease enough, et cetera?
1: Um, no, I would not get a scan early for that decision. I w- only time I would get a scan early would be if patient has new symptoms that make me concerned about disease progression and when I have other therapies to give them.
0: So why wouldn't, let's say they're due for dose three or four, they have borderline toxicity, kind of like in the melanoma study. And I know they did it after two doses. Why wouldn't, because I, I do this in practice. Why wouldn't you use if they had tumor shrinkage on a scan to say, okay, that's enough. And and maybe I don't need to push that fourth dose.
1: Well, because um, I don't, Feel like I have to give the a dose during that time. The the immune system's going to stay active, and the extra three more weeks gives me time to um, evaluate um, what's happening. So whether there's
0: I just shrinking on scan or not doesn't matter.
1: No, I don't think Mike can look and see what's happening at twelve weeks, and you might not see much shrinkage if you look too early. Yeah, and, and I think there's also a, an over reliance on what's happening on the scans. Yeah, to try to make decisions when it doesn't really tell you what's happening inside the lesions on the scans. Yeah, I'm not saying no. that we see a lot of pseudo progression because we don't, um, but we also don't look early because of some concern that we yeah. might see pseudo progression. Pseudo progression is a lot less common now that we use RESIST criteria than the WHO criteria. But um, I think that um, you can see a lot more shrinkage if you wait the extra three
0: weeks. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I I do tend to do it, but I totally take your points that it, it's a, a little bit of a crutch and maybe it's not doing what I think it's doing. All right. We one we just have time for one last question. Tom's been whispering in my ear this whole time. I kind of like better of me controlling the podcast and, and I get I to control it very Tom for, asks. Very <laughs> um, it was really about... <laughs> it's cosmic... not the
1: same when you guys aren't uh, going back and forth.
0: <laughs> we are, but nobody can hear Tom. It's great. <laughs> so um, it's about Cosmic 313. And I think it's really about I don't know, Tom, help me, but it's really about what you think that data will show and how it might impact practice. And are are we, the global kidney cancer community, going to be able to, you know, to put up with the toxicity, so to speak? Do you think that'll be limiting?
1: Well, I would have thought that given that we couldn't add... um, uh, sunitinib to um, anti-PD-1s, and um, right. that um, in melanoma, we couldn't add um, a BRAF inhibitor to IPI, that the um, Nevo cabo combination would be difficult to tolerate. And so I'm concerned about the toxicity. I have not used that combination. I wasn't part of that study. Um, So I'd be concerned about the toxicity and the need to reduce the dose of CABO or to hold a lot of the immune therapy in order to accommodate that toxicity Um, and and what impact that might have on the long-term efficacy of uh, the regimen. But I do think that it's a given that response rate is going to be higher with the triplet and the medium PFS is going to be higher with the triplet. But I am not at all sure what we're going to see on the tail of the overall survival curve or the PFS curve, because those are things that are driven by giving um, the immune therapy mm-hmm. at a time when it's most potent. And I'm not sure how much cabo adds to that, and if it adds toxicity that causes you to not give as much immune therapy. It might take away some.
0: Yeah, all good points. I think we're all. I think it's the next major piece of data in kidney cancer. And I agree with all your points. I think it'll. It, it, I guess, I think it's good we're getting to the point where we have so many active drugs that we're sort of facing these issues of intensification versus deintensification, which is sort of kind of what you were just alluding to. But but we'll see. I, I agree that the time to event or the uh, the tumor shrinkage endpoints I think will be will be in favorable, but I think some of those long-term endpoints we'll see, and that'll be balanced against toxicity. So um, we will see. So anyway, Mike, thanks for joining us. Really in- insightful. I always learn a lot from you. And, and I think we, we as a kidney cancer community can learn a lot from from melanoma, since you guys are a few few years ahead of us on this. So uh, thanks for joining. We hope to talk again soon. Yes, you know, it's my Tom, pleasure. Tom, Tom and I'm sorry, well.
1: I couldn't hear from Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, okay. take care, Mike.